everyone, and welcome to Dead to Rights, the podcast video for the crime genre industry. I'm your host, Donna Carrick, and today we're going to be bringing you a great interview with Andrew Welsh Huggins. Andrew is the author of the Andy Hayes Private Eyes series, featuring a former Ohio State and Cleveland Browns quarterback turned investigator. So it's in the style of the old-fashioned detective novels. Um, if you love those novels, you're going to love uh, Andrew Welsh Huggins. So look for Andrew at Amazon or wherever you buy your crime books and uh, hope you enjoy. Now before we get to our interview with Andrew, I've got to remind you that we very soon will have our anthology, our Carrick Publishing anthology, titled A Grave Diagnosis coming out near the end of October, and uh, it's featuring 35 stories of murder and malaise, each by a different author, many of whom are well-established crime authors, and a couple of noobs. So watch for those newbies and uh, hope you get to know some new authors. And these stories are terrific. I really think you're going to enjoy this. So watch for our grave diagnosis with this absolutely wonderful cover by Sarah Carrick and featuring the model Sarah Carrick. So you can see the cover off to the side here. And um, Watch for that anthology, late October 2020, and uh, yeah, it's, you know, in this COVID situation we're in, it's kind of iffy having an illness theme, but we came up with the theme before COVID hit, so what can you do? You got to roll with it. Anyway, I know you're going to enjoy the book regardless, so, and now, please welcome to Dead to Rights, for the first time ever, Andrew Welsh Huggins. Uh, Andrew, welcome to Dead to Rights. It's good to have you on. It's really good to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, you are located where, Andrew? Uh, we live in Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And you are the author of the An Andy Hayes Mystery Series, which you've got six books, and you also have a, a collection of short stories recently, too. Uh, what is yeah, that? Yeah, so I... Um, I, I write my Private Eye series, and then I recently edited uh, Columbus Noir for mm -hmm. Akashic Books. If uh, listeners are familiar with Akashic Books, they, they publish noir uh, titles in cities uh, around, the, around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and one of my favorite ones I read recently was uh, Montreal Noir. And mm -hmm. so this is a series of 14 stories by 14 different writers, each set in a different Columbus neighborhood. Excellent. Excellent. And that's Columbus Noir. That's the name of the anthology, is it? That's right. Okay. And, and you uh, were the editor on it. Did you also have a story in it? Yep. I had a, I edited it and then I have a story uh, that is set in and around the Ohio State House, uh, which is a place I've covered many years uh, in my day job as a reporter for the Associated Press. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to get to that because I want to know how that uh, how that affects your your um, mystery series in particular, what what that brings to it, and we might as well segue right to that actually. Sure. So um, yeah, I've been a reporter actually for over thirty years, uh, ten years in newspapers, uh, and then I joined the AP in nineteen ninety eight when I came to Colum when we moved to Columbus, mm -hmm. and uh, I have. I covered the State House full time for probably seven years, but I've been covering the State House on and off ever since. And in fact, I've been over there um, recently covering the um, governor's. Uh, they used to be daily; now they're biweekly briefings on the COVID nineteen pandemic. Right. right. So, 
So it's a place I'm uh, place I'm very familiar with. I'm still trying to figure it out after all these years, but uh, it's a absolutely perfect place for a mystery. Um, yeah. You've got power, passion, greed, shenanigans. Mm-hmm. It's uh, in fact, I my third novel, Capital Punishment, is is uh, a murder mystery set at the Ohio State House. Okay. Okay. Wow. So that really does, uh, <laughs> that really is reality bleeding into fiction there, isn't it? For yeah. sure. Yeah. Now, uh, you mentioned about the briefings for the pandemic. Um, I would imagine that uh, that would be working into whatever you're working on right now. You know, it's funny you say that. I actually, uh, I am a couple drafts into a, uh, an Andy Hayes short story set during the pandemic mm-hmm. and um it's it's combining what what we're all living through the experience we're all sharing plus a little bit of of what i know from covering the state house and some of the some of the topical things mm-hmm. uh, and um so yeah there, it's very interesting there's a big debate right now about um writing about the pandemic uh i know, I know. that's why i mentioned it so whether it's yeah. me into your work because authors that I talked to at the outset of this were more or less uniformly of a mind that they wanted to skip it altogether and get to the other side. But as time went on, they realized this is just, it's just too big. If they're going to write, it's going to be in there somehow, even if it's in a small way, even if it's only in the background, you know, like any other event would be. That's right. I mean, we're already seeing, I'm I'm sh- I'm pretty sure there's already one anthology that's out, you know, about writing during COVID-19. My feeling, uh, I mean, um, <clears throat> Janet Hutchins had a really nice essay on this in um, Ellery Queen Mystery Magazine's blog recently, about how she's actually fairly skeptical about um, accepting pandemic-related stories right now. And my feeling is these, I, I, I've also written a, um, I have another character who has only appeared in stories so far, and I recently wrote a story that basically is set in in a near future time when we're back to normal, but the pandemic is sort of in people's memory. And I don't, I really don't expect to try to publish that for several months. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, it feels a little, a little. It's close a tough to one because I guess it would be yeah. There's the feeling of too soon, too soon, you know? Yeah. Um, and yet it is a reality and I don't know how we escape a reality, uh, you know? So, uh, I mean, I'm really of two minds about it. I, I wouldn't shy away from it, but at the same time, one doesn't want to exploit something, especially when you're right in the middle of it, you know? So. I think that's right. It, um, it does feel, I have a, a seventh Andy Hayes book um, in the works and it feels strange, you know, that, that was started well before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It, has, it has, at this point, no reference to it at all. It just sort of mm-hmm. takes place in kind of current contemporary times. But it, it, it has felt odd recently doing some edits on it uh, because it's so out of our experience right now. It's like all it an alternative we planet. In, we are in the throes of this. Um, I'll tell you, I've got an anthology coming out later this year, and I had uh, been with a few of my writing group friends um, having lunch, and we'd been talking about, this was in late 2019, 
uh, whether we would do an anthology this year, whether my, my publishing company would. And uh, I said, you know, I think I would. And I had a couple of ideas for, for um, theme. And one of the ideas was illness. And they all jumped on it. Yeah, illness, that's a good idea. We haven't done anything like that ever. So I came up with the title, A Grave Diagnosis, and here we are. And I've got, I had yeah. just a flood of stories, as you can imagine. Uh, a number of them mention COVID either as a main part of the story or peripherally because they were written during this. Um, but, you know, it's like everybody's living this, so it's on their minds. And uh, I, I never had so many submissions. Wow. You know? For any anthology yeah. it was just wild yeah. so you know by that point it was already in place so i couldn't really change it so there you go <laughs> you know? it's funny so tell me about the latest <clears throat> andy hayes right so the latest one is called fatal judgment mm -hmm. and it um there's a little bit of background required so in the in the very first book in this series my character has a a bit of an unorthodox relationship with a judge who, uh, you know, he has a, <clears throat> he has a, a troubled romantic past. Uh, the series opens, he has two ex-wives and an ex-fiance, and he has two sons, each by his two different ex-wives. So he's, he's always trying to make amends and do a better job. So for, so for a while, he has... He has he has this relationship with a judge that he started out as her bodyguard and it sort of morphed into, um, I guess, bodyguard with benefits. Mm -hmm. And in the first book, that relationship ends suddenly, ends badly. And the sixth book picks up with the judge reaching out to Andy at, with absolutely no contact for five years. She reaches out and says, I need your help. Mm -hmm. And she, He's very, you know, he's startled by this, but he agrees to, to meet with her. Mm -hmm. No sooner does she basically pull up, he gets in the car and they talk and she gets a very strange phone call that she causes her to cut their conversation short. She tells him she has to go. She says, this was a mistake. Don't mm -hmm. try to contact me. And then essentially she just, she disappears. Mm -hmm. And the book is essentially him trying to figure out where she went, why she isn't at home, is there something amiss? Mm -hmm. uh, and this takes him up to a part of central Ohio. Uh, it involves some um, environmental themes. Uh, I invented a, uh, a, uh, a bird called the coastal tanager. Oh, did you? Uh, which is, uh, <laughs> you're going to have to look pretty hard to find a real coastal tanager, but. Um, <laughs> I invented I think a. I saw one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've heard that from a lot of people. Mm. Uh, and so part of the part of the mystery involves uh, this coastal tanager and some development, and uh, this, the mystery eventually takes him all the way to Cleveland, where he he's he, Andy has avoided Cleveland uh, as much as possible because he played briefly for the Cleveland Browns mm -hmm. uh, after. Um, <clears throat> another mess he got himself into and he was not, he had a terrible season there and sort of left, <clears throat> left with his tail between his Is legs. Is he by any chance a flawed character, this Andy Hayes? <laughs> well, you know what it is, you know how it is with uh, private eyes. There's always that pressure to have the, you know, the fallen angel. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
you know, with Andy, when I was first developing him, I thought about making him like a war veteran, very fairly common motif. Mm -hmm. But because I live in Columbus, Ohio, which is football crazy, um, I realized that there was no better uh, fallen angel than someone who had been an Ohio State football star. Right. And then had thrown it all thrown it all away, screwed it all up. And, and that's sort of Andy's backstory is that he, you know, he was leading this team to the national championship his senior year, right before the big giant annual game with the University of Michigan. He gets himself arrested and he the season goes down the tubes and and he's sort of persona non grata. And so that's kind of the experience that he later on slowly has to sort of build himself back from and that's always this kind of cloud hanging over him there's still a lot of people still a lot of people in town who you know you're the guy who lost yeah, yeah. the national yeah. championship you bum, you bum. <laughs> exactly so how is your part of the world coping with no football it's going to be tough um i can't there's no way to overestimate the impact of Ohio State football on this community. You know, Columbus uh, is the capital city, but until past 20 years, we, we never really had, we did not have uh, professional sports teams. Now we have a professional soccer team and a professional um, hockey team, but Ohio State football has always substituted for like the, the pro football and it's just an outsized impact. I, I don't know. I don't know how people are going to cope. Um, they're yeah. talking about, they're talking about games with, you know, a quarter of the ticket holders and people right. sitting six feet away. And I guess if they're televised, that will, that will have some influence, but the, the spectacle of Ohio stadium on a game day where they regularly fill it with over 105,000 people, and thousands more outside watching. Uh, it's it's just sort of unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It sounds it sounds uh, sad to say the least. You know, um, really. I, you know, not not being a huge fan myself. You know, here in Canada, we like our football, but uh, I think we like our hockey more. You know, that would be my guess. And soccer. Soccer is a big growing thing here too. Yeah. Basketball with the Raptors, of course. Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, we do love the Raptors. Um, so football's there. There's the Argonauts, but I'm not sure anybody's ever heard of them. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Back in my very distant youth, I used to uh, date a fellow who was playing for the Junior Argos. He was on the farm team. Okay. That's how young we were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've heard of the Argonauts because of that, but otherwise I probably wouldn't have. <laughs> That's funny. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, it, what about uh, in terms of travel and things like that? Are you very restricted in that way? Yeah, we're, um, you know, we recently went to West Virginia on a vacation. We met our new granddaughter and that was very exciting. But um, both personally and professionally, we've, we've really limited our travel. Mm -hmm. um, for a long time, if you left the state of Ohio, you were... Um, you know, you were strongly encouraged to then uh, self-quarantine for 14 days. Right. And um, we're still not doing much. You know, we don't expect to do much traveling at all. Um, I actually, I've been, even as, you know, I've been working from home pretty much since early March. Um, yeah. I take, I take a 
occasional trip downtown to cover these, uh, the governor's briefings uh, about COVID-19 in Ohio, uh, but we're actually not even allowed to go to our downtown office. I mean, we have to ask permission from yeah. the company to go there. So it's very, um, yeah, it's very odd. As a journalist covering these things, that really is yet one more unsung essential service. So uh, I've been trying to run through my mind on all the essential services, all the people who have continued working through this and uh, not just working as we do from home, but working in, you know, what could be risk situations and certainly going downtown to cover a briefing would, would fit the bill on that as well, wouldn't it? Well, take a lot yeah. of when you go uh... so the briefings are very uh, they're, they're quite an interesting um, event they are held we are not physically with the governor we haven't been with the governor for over two and a half months he is he beams in by video uh, from another location uh, we are sitting at tables um, uh, and when we ask our questions, we, we are asking them in real time to the governor. He can see us, we can see him. And by the way, th this is all broadcast. This is all streamed live. Well, anybody can watch it. It's the Ohio right. channel, ohiochannel.gov. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, and everybody's wearing masks um, and we're pretty much the only people in the state house. The, the state house mm -hmm. is more or less empty. Um, so it's, it's a very strange, very strange situation. Yeah. Yeah, when I watch any of the briefings from anywhere, I am struck by how eerie almost they are. And this is going to permeate our art. It's going to, whether we have the noblest intentions of leaving it out or, you know, because it's just part of life and life always does permeate our art. So yeah. I, I, I suspect that your Andy Hayes is going to take you down some of these roads, whether you think so or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling the pressure already, so. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, yeah. So what exactly are you working on right now? Ah, good question. So um, I'm finishing up, um, well, I guess the seventh book is more or less done. I'm just waiting for uh, the timing of that to be worked out. Hopefully it'll be out in the spring of 2021. Mm -hmm. um, I have several short stories that are out awaiting, you know, I've submitted to several uh, mystery magazines. Mm -hmm. uh, I do have a, I have a story coming out in an anthology um, in the fall uh, about this new character of mine who is a, uh, this is more of a thriller type thing. My character is a, uh, I describe him as a freelance mailman. He delivers information, items, and sometimes even people. Oh, okay. And he, you know, his, his one, uh, his one uh, calling card is that he's never missed a delivery. And so this, this gets him into some interesting um, situations. That so I have that intriguing, yeah. Yeah, so I have that coming out. Uh, and what's I am working- What's his name, your new character? Uh, his name is Mercury Carter. Mercury Carter, oh, that's- Yeah. 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 So his, <laughs> yeah, his, his father was an actual mailman and he, he named him Mercury uh, because Mercury was the messenger of the gods. And so uh, this guy is not exactly thrilled that he was named Mercury. He, he, go, he, goes, by, he goes by Merc, which people always mishear as Mark. So that's, uh, that's just another little uh, fun item to the stories. 
Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, other than uh, the fact that you've been out at these briefings and such, how does your journalism career affect the style of your writing? What would you say it does to the style? Because I've interviewed a number of, of journalists, and so I'm just interested in your take on how that feeds into the way you write, not just your matter, but... Right. Um, I would say the biggest thing for me is the discipline that writing on deadline has given me for my day job has translated to my fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I struggle with a lot of things, I think like all writers do, but like writer's block is not one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't afford to have writer's block because that's how I pay the bills. Yeah. Um, and so I think, <clears throat> I, I, I think I'm pretty disciplined. You know, I'm up six days a week, usually working for a couple hours in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in terms of the, I think that's probably the main thing that journalism has provided is just that, uh, that sense of um, discipline, deadline. You know, there's that old saying that has been attributed to a ton of different writers, but it, it goes something like, uh, I only write when I am inspired, and I see to it that I am inspired every morning at 9 a.m. Yes, yes, very good. <laughs> and uh, I've always liked that. Um, in terms of... Uh, sort of style, my experience has been that uh, I, ha- I take nothing for granted uh, in terms of the journalism translating to fiction writing. I find the two can be extremely different. They can, can't they? Yeah. Yeah. I've published so I don't, a couple of journalists as well, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I, I, steal, I steal from my own headlines all the time. I, I've sort of taken a bunch of, um, things that I've written about uh, for stories and I've turned them around and, and put them into my fiction. Uh, but in terms of, you know, in journalism as in fiction, I think we all try to hopefully limit the number of adjectives and adverbs, use, yeah. use active verbs, um, be, be exact, show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. But then there's so much more in fiction where there's this feeling sometimes that just every every word counts in fiction. And I, I hope that's true in my journalism, but I think it's different when you're writing uh, prose. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then when you're getting into the world of description, uh, obviously plotting, uh, pacing, I just, like I said, I, I try not to, to take anything for granted. And I study the art of, fiction constantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, as I do the art of journalism, but I, I, I sort of look at them as two different things um, that hopefully I'm, I'm okay at. Yeah, yeah, I think they, they really are quite two different things and no question about it. What I've found um, with people who have a journalist background um, is that they know how to write tight and that's really a godsend for them. They know how to get straight to the action but they also, if they had a flaw, it would be that they write as if they have an editor in their back pocket. Mm. And uh, that can be, but you know, it serves them well because they can really tell the story. Um, I think they've got an edge sometimes in that, at least that's been my take with the journalists that I've known, you know, that uh, they really know how to get straight to the lead, you know. And uh, that's great because uh, especially in crime fiction, I think that's really important 
my husband likes to joke to me, if you haven't got a body by page two, give it up and start something else, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 And I think even, uh, I mean, I think that's always been true, but especially now, I think we're really feeling the need to really hook readers up front. Like yes. give me a read in this, in this uh, media content landscape, give me a reason to, to got so much on our minds and I can't blame readers I mean they're torn between the news and the daily briefings and the and it's just a constant barrage there's a constant barrage of stressors and uh, things to take their eyes and ears away from you and uh, even when they do come to fiction there are so many forms and so many mediums and you know I remember um, when my daughter was in her early teens we read uh, the Hunger Games together and we just tore through them. And I thought, whoa, this is a different style of storytelling. Mm -hmm. you know, this is really quite different. And again, it was that grab, just grab and don't let go, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Um, and, uh, you know, some of the great authors of of a few years ago, like P.D. James is a good example of a of such a wonderful author, but you know, much more gradual entry. You know that you have to sort of have the patience. And I think once you become an established writer, I think uh, readers will cut you a little bit of slack because they yes, know they they're yes, they will something special. Yeah, and it depends if they know you too. If they know you in one way they'll accept that. If they know and if it goes with their mind flow, you know. Um, I know I'm just not that fast into the story. I know that, like that's not my style, but um, I do love reading that. I love reading things that get you fast because sure. I said so many distractions, so many places to put your eyes. If you can keep them right on that page, that's, that's a godsend. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Andrew, it's been really wonderful having you on. Is there anything that you'd like to say to new writers to kind of uh, give them a little bit of a leg up? You know, um, I would just, I, I always encourage uh, new writers to come up with, you know, two important things, which um, they usually don't think of. First of all, make sure you, uh, well, we'll say three, three things. Make sure that you have a place where you're going to write mm -hmm. and make sure it's a, a place you like. Uh, try to figure out a time when you're going to write. Uh, because I think that's something that eludes a lot of people. They just have this idea that, well, I'm just going to fill some time in here and there. Mm -hmm. Whether you're morning, I'm a morning person, but if you're an evening yes. person or if you're a lunch hour person, doesn't matter. Uh, and then the last thing I'd say is, you know, just give yourself permission to do this. Um, this is an important thing you're doing. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, it's totally... Uh, the thing to do to sit down and call yourself a writer and it might not feel natural, but um, you know, give yourself permission to tackle this project and, you know, don't give up. We're the, the, uh, <clears throat> the narrative that you're involved in at this point is, I mean, the, the end game is we're talking years, not months. So don't, don't get discouraged and just, just keep at it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a way of life, really, isn't it? It's. It, I think it's a way of life, writing um, more than it is anything else. And and at the the outset, as you say, it's very difficult for people. They don't always feel like they are allowed to say I'm a writer. You know, I mean, I know one. 
outstanding international best-selling author who told me that when he first started writing fiction, and he was a journalist too, uh, as yourself, when he first started writing fiction, he didn't want anyone to know because he didn't want to be boxed into success, like feel like he had to tout up what he was doing and have people weigh in, you know, and ask him constantly how it was going and things like that. It's a performance anxiety. It really is. It's a yeah. form of performance anxiety, you know. And I mean, he's long since passed that now, so I'm sure he wouldn't mind my telling that story because, uh, as I said, he's been an international bestseller all, all over the world, really, so, and, and translated into a multitude of languages, so. You know, but that's how he started. That's how he felt when he started. Exactly that, that feeling that he couldn't give himself permission. Right. Uh, and the, I guess the final thing I would say, something that I wish I'd done a little earlier, but I've, I've taken advantage of is, is uh, join mystery writing associations. Um, do, I mean, I, my inbox is so filled with various uh, blogs and writing tips sheets and then there's wonderful podcasts like this one there I, there's just um I, it's a great community to be part of and i guess i would say don't feel like you have to labor uh by yourself join your local sisters in crime chapter join your uh mystery writers of uh of america or north america uh join um Private Eye Writers Association. I mean, just join these groups, take advantage of the offerings, go to conferences when you can. Don't, don't do this by yourself because it's, you can learn so much. I learn stuff every week, even now. Yeah, we're not those writers in a garret anymore. And uh, I'm glad you mentioned Sisters in Crime because if there's any men out there listening, they are not really Sisters of Crime anymore. They're Sisters and Misters in Crime. Yes, I'm a longtime Mister of Crime yeah. and it's just a great organization. It is. It's a wonderful organization. I've met almost all the writers I know, either through them or through people that I met through them. So, yeah, and I've got a pretty big network. So there you go. Right. Yeah. It really is a community. So thank you very much, Andrew, for becoming part of our community today. I really appreciate oh, it. So happy to. Great speaking with you. It's really good. Really good meeting you. Thanks so much. I want to thank Andrew Welsh Huggins for joining us today on Dead to Rights, the video podcast for the crime genre industry. And you can find us at YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So watch for us. And if you, if you just can't find us, go to deadtorights.ca. That's deadtorights.ca. And you can find all our back issues. And uh, hope you enjoy. And please show an author some love. Be sure to like and subscribe. You know where all those buttons are on your YouTube and on your podcast venues. So look for them and please do because it gives our authors a, a huge advantage when you do that. Thank you very much for joining us. And our thanks as always go to Ted Carrick for the wonderful theme music, Eyes of Gold. Hope to see you all next week. Bye.
dusty road, man alone. His vital signs go on hold. And I don't know what you've been told. But the years have turned my eyes gold. And I told you what you told me. Never be in the same boat for free Yet it rides Let it rock